The Saskatchewan Healthcare Coalition is hosting the All for Public Healthcare Rally in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, May 4th. It's free and you're invited. This rally is happening because our public healthcare system does not have the support it needs to meet the diverse needs of all Saskatchewan residents. For years, it has been underfunded, ignored, and hindered. So join Donna and I in person on May 4th in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan for a walk, speeches, networking, and community building. Link for more information is in the show notes. Hope to see you there. I would say it's like this hidden, sly kind of addiction that takes from us meaningful moments in our lives, Mm -hmm. meaningful connection from our loved ones, Mm -hmm. because we can say, oh, it's just work. Mm -hmm. And I'll have my kids say, mom, you're on your computer again while I'm hounding them to get off their devices. And you know what I say, Dan? I'm working. I'm working. Oh, God, I say that too. I'm working. They don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. What you're not doing is you're not spending time with them. What's up, everybody? In this session, I have an inspiring guest, Laura Lawrence and passionate educator, speaker, author, and founder of Youth Matters, a nonprofit focused on youth mental health. We talk about workaholism, divorce, parenting, as well as we dive deep into some thought-provoking topics from the role of subconscious programming in our actions to the importance of mind-body connection to the challenges and joys of parenting and much more. Stick around and we'll delve into Laura's life challenges and gleaning from her expertise and experiences as an educator, a mother, and a change maker. You're about to be enlightened, challenged, and maybe even transform how you view your daily life choices. So open your mind and enjoy the show. Also, we're giving away a few of Laura's books too. So if you want a chance to win, jump over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and a meaningful review, send a screenshot to the Hard Knocks Talks Facebook page, and you're entered to win. Contest deadline is January 12th, 2024. What is up, Laura? I'm having a good morning, Dan. Really happy to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. Thank you for joining us today. I, I have to admit, this is outside my comfort zone. You, you don't have a story that involves devastating substance use in, in, in a first-person capacity. And it's, that's typically what we talk about. I'm sure you were chuckling at me like you did on in our meetings, <laughs> but I'm sure you continued to do so after our meetings were over because I just was like a, an insecure little child not wanting to step outside my comfort zone. But we are here today, so I would like just a little bit of recognition and everyone watching to understand that I am not inside my comfort zone. But Laura has an amazing message. So Laura, is there anything that you'd like to say before we jump in today? I'm just grateful that you invited me to be here and grateful for everyone who's tuning in live. I'm excited for this. This is something new for me, a little outside my comfort zone, being in a live studio mm-hmm. on a live podcast. So let's dance. Let's go. Let's go. This is Hard Knocks Talks. All right. If you are struggling with the substance use of a loved one or have tragically lost a loved one to drug-related harms, reach out to Stronger Together Canada, peer-led support groups by Mums Stop the Harm. If you are in search of private inpatient addictions treatment, check out Prairie Sky Recovery Center located in Lipsig, Saskatchewan. To make contact or learn more about today's sponsors, check out our new merch. Or if you want to show us some love and buy us a coffee, all of those links are in the show notes below. You're a workaholic. I think I am. Mm -hmm. Yep, I would say. Now, I think maybe we all are in a certain capacity. Would you say that because you came from a family that was steeped in entrepreneurship and and, and workaholism, having had the realization that you are a workaholic, would you say that you are in recovery from that? Or are you still like trying to moderate? Or what is that? And where did it start? Yeah, I think when we originally talked about what addiction looks like for me, and Mm -hmm. I shared that for me, it's immersing myself in work Mm -hmm. because I come from a long line of really passionate, dedicated visionaries. And it's so easy to immerse ourselves in work. Mm -hmm. It's acceptable to put in 12, 14 hour days to work seven days a week. Nobody really recognizes it as an act of addiction. Mm -hmm. But those of us who struggle with setting healthy boundaries between work and family and pleasure and self-care. We know firsthand the impact that it can have on our mental health. And I think for me, it started when I was a kid and I just started to immerse myself in everything I could. If I was good at something and I could receive validation for it and I could get recognition for it, it set off a pathway in my brain of, hey, that feels good. Mm-hmm. I can do something. I can do it well. Mm-hmm. And so I was always involved in everything I could be involved in as a teen, in school, in sports. So it started pretty early for me. So 
you in the bio you sent me, you mentioned that you took a a, a pivot in life in 2013 to a new career path. Now, what what piqued my curiosity about that is when you were talking about it, you mentioned that you were steeped in conscious living and self-awareness. Now, what is conscious living? How is it different than self-awareness? And how did you discover it? So I'll take you back to where I came from and what led up to the big pivot, if I can. Yeah. Because I think it'll really help those tuning in to understand who I am and how my life took this gigantic, unexpected pivot. So I'm formally trained as an educator. So I was a high school teacher actively in a rural community for over 15 years. Mm -hmm. My passion was teaching kids science and exploring and working with their hands and just inquiring. So I was a teacher and I really loved what I did. Mm -hmm. In 2013, after a 17-year relationship with a man who was my high school sweetheart, we Mm -hmm. had started dating when I was 16, life took a pivot and we found ourselves in a separation that led to a divorce. And we had two small children at the time who were two and six years old. Mm -hmm. So I went from, quote unquote, happily married with a plan and what what my life was going to look like parenting with this person Mm -hmm. and planning a future with this person to all of a sudden I was a single mom Mm -hmm. with two small children and I had zero idea what my future was going to look like. And I Mm -hmm. think that although my story isn't sensational in a sense, it's very Mm -hmm. relatable because 50% research shows at least 50% of your viewers and those who tune into this are going to be able to relate to this. And anybody who's ever been in a relationship or who's had to navigate a relationship with another person coming from two different sets of families, two different sets of belief systems, mm-hmm. subconscious programming, mm-hmm. you understand. So I'm interested, how did your, we briefly touched on, on, on workaholism, you get into a relationship. How did that change your relationship with work? It didn't. It it exasperated it because I was married to somebody who was also very passionate about what he did. Mm-hmm. And he was very good at what he did. Mm-hmm. And we started a business together. So you enabled each other. Yeah, okay. we enabled each other. Mm-hmm. And we were both very supportive of one another's endeavors and mm-hmm. entrepreneurship endeavors. But what happened is, and if you're watching this and you know what it's like to be really connected to your work, it's hard to set boundaries. It's hard mm-hmm. to set boundaries for healthy family time, healthy connection. And so once we got into a business together, that also brought in another layer to a relationship that's a whole different ball of wax Mm -hmm. in a marriage. And we were two totally different people in terms of how we viewed some of the structure and some of our belief systems about what it was like to run a business and how you ran that business. Mm -hmm. And yeah, workaholism then just geared up. Did you ever take on any trauma? From work. Yeah. I mean, I was a teacher. And so we're working with trauma every day. Oh, unpack that. In the classroom. We're working with kids who are coming with backpacks, imaginary backpacks full of trauma. Some of them talk about it. Mm -hmm. Most of them don't. Mm -hmm. But if you are a good teacher and you are really in tune with your students, it's hard to separate that. It's hard to separate those connections and those emotional connections to your students and knowing their families, and knowing a little bit what happens behind closed doors, but not everything that happens behind closed doors. Yeah, I vividly remember the first time that there was a very traumatic experience in our school and as a teacher, Mm -hmm. and it was my grade 11 student who'd passed away. Mm -hmm. And him and a couple of his friends, they were all students of mine. They were in a drinking and driving accident. And it is, when you talk about trauma, It's the memories of how they're stored in your body, right? So even Mm -hmm. as I talk about this right now, Dan, I can feel the emotion and everything that's scrolling through my head right now is when I received the call. I've got visions of his funeral. I've got visions of speaking to the students the next day after it, Mm -hmm. because that's how trauma shows up for us. It shows up as like an emotional reaction in our body. Yeah. You know, was this something that you realized when you first got into teaching, like, that you were working with a room full of students that all brought their trauma to school. Was this something that you went into knowing or was this something that you picked up along the way? I can't say I went into it knowing that, but I have been working with youth since I was a kid. I was a figure skating instructor early on. And so when you work with kids, sometimes they're having a bad day or they have no filters, so they'll tell you exactly what they think. Mm -hmm. I knew that working with kids would require a lot of emotional and mental energy of my own. 
but not until I actually was in the trenches in the classroom. And that's why I have utmost respect for teachers. Mm-hmm. I am not a full-time teacher right now. I still am in an aspect of teaching when I go into schools and I work with kids of all ages teaching mindfulness and mental wellness strategies. But I just have utmost respect for teachers because what they have on their plate these days is even heavier than when I left the classroom 10 years ago. Yeah. Now, when we're talking about conscious living, quite honestly, I forgot what you said earlier already. I didn't even I didn't even address it. So I didn't address it. So Um, I'm not. not... You didn't forget conscious living. (laughs) So it wasn't until I'm going to tell you a little bit about what happened. So after the divorce, Mm -hmm. I spiraled into a pretty deep depression, one that I had never been able to relate to prior to. I was always an anxious person, high functioning anxiety, really people pleasing. Mm -hmm. But I had never experienced that deep, dark, fall in the well, can't get out, don't want to get out of bed, have zero motivation type of depression. Mm -hmm. And after the divorce, I went through a period of about six months where I completely lost who I was. I was an empty shell. My family couldn't even recognize me emotionally. My personality was so different. I was withdrawn. I lost 40 pounds really quickly, which often happens to us when we're going through Mm -hmm. traumatic times in our life. And then I was introduced to something called body talk. Mm. And I'm curious to know if any of the viewers have ever heard of it, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's an alternative modality that seeks to decrease the impact of stress on your mind and your body. And what had happened is I was at a pretty low point Mm -hmm. and a couple of friends had recognized that perhaps it was so low, they were concerned. And I'll say this, and I've never talked publicly about this, but this is a great day to to talk about it because when I'm working with youth, we talk about suicidal ideation. And I had never had a plan. I'm too afraid of death that to actually think about taking my own life was just Mm -hmm. not somewhere I actively went when I was in that depression. But I do vividly remember I was driving home one night I had been out socializing and I'd driven home and I felt very lonely. I felt very isolated. And I had to call my sister because I had a thought of what would happen if I actually took the car and pivoted just enough to cross the yellow line. Mm-hmm. And that was such a scary thought for me, Dan, that I picked up the phone and I called my sister and she had to stay on the phone with me the whole entire time because I was in a, just a deep well of sadness and no hope and just feeling absolutely deflated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looking back now, do you think that would have been something you may have gone through with? If you didn't have your sister on the line? Oh, gosh, I don't think so. Because of my kids. I just remember that fleeting thought and thinking, oh, that is a dark thought. Yeah. But at that intervention weekend, what had happened is a couple of my friends called my mom and dad and said, listen, she's not doing well. We're going to set up a weekend for her. And they had lined up a meeting with a psychologist, a meeting with a Reiki practitioner, who it's, again, an alternative therapy that works with energy in your vital body. And then they had lined up a body talk appointment for me. Mm-hmm. I think we've graduated to what body talk is. That was that was my next question. So you're a body talk practitioner now. Mm-hmm. So tell us about what your experience was like coming into an understanding of what that was and how did it help you? So I had no idea what it was. And now as a practitioner, I say, and when I speak, body talk is something that finds you. I think a lot of these alternative therapies and modalities, mm-hmm. they show up in your life at the right time for the right reason. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. yeah. And I would have never actively sought out a body talk appointment. And when I went in for my first one, I remember coming out thinking, well, that was a load of shit. Pardon my French. I, I remember okay. thinking like, thank God I didn't pay for that because my left brain and my scientific mind was like, I don't understand. I was trying to unpack it from a very logical understanding. And I just didn't really have the best connection with the practitioner. So that was it. But then I kept coming back into my life. I was introduced to it again. And I went to a different session with a different practitioner. Mm-hmm. And I ended up having a life changing session that completely dealt with some of the trauma that I was storing in my body that was manifesting as physical symptoms, and then I was sold. You talk about subconscious programming with your with youth. Now, I'm assuming that these topics that you're talking about with youth now, they came from personal experience. Now, before we get into that, though, tell us how body talk helped you. Like we said, yeah. okay, you bought into it. What yeah. is it? Yeah. So what it is, it's this alternative modality, again, that seeks to decrease the impact of stress on the body-mind. And it works from the realm of understanding that our subconscious programming is where everything is held. 
So if I may, because I think this will help you and also your listeners understand, when we look at the body-mind and we understand kind of the rungs on the ladder, the very bottom rung is our physical body. So Mm. we would treat our physical body with modalities like Western medicine, like massage, like chiropractic, yeah? Moving up to the next rung, you have something called your vital body or your energetic body. So that's where we would look at acupuncture and the acupuncture points and the meridians in the body, a lot of Chinese medicine understanding. That's where Reiki, if you've had a Reiki session where you're working with the energy of the body and the the Wei Qi of the body, okay? Mm -hmm. Then up from there, from the vital body, you've got the mental body. So that's our thoughts, Mm -hmm. okay? So we have approximately 70,000 thoughts a day, 98. I'm sure I have at least double that. (laughs) You have double. I'm sure of it. Me too. But 95 (laughs) to 98% of those are subconscious. So that takes us to the supermental, which is the subconscious body. And then up from there is the bliss body. So when you think of the Dalai Lama and Buddha and those that are the most enlightened beings, where Mm -hmm. there's no attachment to any belief system and they simply exist without any expectation or attachment, Mm -hmm. um, that's the bliss body. We call bliss body universal consciousness. That's a wholeness, a oneness. That's feeling a very in one with the world. Mm -hmm. So body talk takes uh, the work that we do with our mind body up to the supermental, so the subconscious and the bliss body. The work we do with our body. Yes. So the work we do that we don't even know that you're doing. So 70,000 thoughts a day, only 5% of those at most are conscious. Everything else is subconscious. So our subconscious programming is driving the bus. Everything you do is basically based on your subconscious programming. And where did that come from? Zero to seven. Your programming that happened in those early formative years in your life between zero to seven years old. Hmm. When we talk about formative years and where our traits are developed and stuff, as, as a parent in recovery and having had some bad experiences and having my son live through those things, I always start to feel a little bit of guilt. Like, oh, all hope is lost. He yeah. experienced some pretty bad things when I and Donna were both actively using. So that's what comes to surface when you start talking about 100%, that. 100%, Dan. And yeah. I had a mentor because I, ha- I went through that too. So as I was studying all my advanced classes and learning to become a body talk practitioner, there were so many layers that I had to sift through of my own beliefs guilt expectations and i went through the same thing i was like i pretty much messed up my kids lives yeah they're screwed there and i had a mentor who said laura actually it was my psychologist Hmm. who had said laura we're supposed to but if we can give them the tools the skills the love the connection so that they can solve problems just a little bit better than we could so Mm -hmm. that they can avoid some of those pivots or some of those holes that we fell into then we're doing our job really yeah So your psychologist legit said we're supposed to mess our kids up. Yeah. Hmm. And not necessarily we're supposed to, but we do. Yeah. As a byproduct of our own trauma and our own baggage that we bring from our childhoods. And Mm -hmm. so this is how I said it to a client of mine. So we're born with this backpack full of um, belief systems and expectations and programming that we get from our family, from our environment, from our communities, from our church, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And then that's our rules of engagement. That's how we go through life with. That's our blueprint. Yeah. And then we get to this age or we meet somebody who has a different blueprint. We're like, oh, shit. My blueprint, so different from your blueprint. Mm-hmm. Now we're struggling. Now there's conflict. And I don't know about you, but I am pretty steadfast in my beliefs. Yeah. And so it takes a lot to convince me otherwise. Yeah. But what do we do when we get into marriages and relationships, even working relationships? Where does conflict come from? The conflict comes from the different set of blueprints, the Mm. different set of belief systems. Mm -hmm. If you and I are in a relationship and you're very attached to your line of thinking and I'm very attached to mine, we're in conflict. Mm -hmm. How do we resolve that? So Body Talk helped me work through so many of my own belief systems, Mm -hmm. limiting belief systems, but also core belief systems that gave me that blueprint Mm -hmm. and that rules of engagement to to go through life. Mm -hmm. Because believe me, I have some blueprint copies that are tough to live with. I'm not an easy, I'm not an easy person to live with. I'm, I am an overachiever. I'm a Uh perfectionist. Uh I have very high expectations. I remember my ex-husband said, Laura, you got such high expectations. And my second and final husband, that's what I call him. Mm-hmm. Your final <laughs> he, husband? If this one doesn't go, no, that's it. <laughs> I say, this is it, man. No, I just joke around when I say he's my second and final. You might not be. <laughs> we don't ever know. You don't ever know. I hadn't planned to go through 
that divorce. And then here, there I found myself. Mm -hmm. The issue is too, so my husband and I, my second husband, I've been together now 10 years. Mm -hmm. And the first couple of years, I was blissful in a relationship because we're not showing all our cards. We haven't unpacked that whole backpack full of shit that we've been carrying. We're on our best behavior. Yeah. And I got to say my relationship with Donna, we were together for eight years in addiction and then apart for five years and now back together coming up two years in March, I think. And this is the best that we've ever been. Yeah. Finally, we're finally, you know what? No more bullshit. Who are you? Who am I? But you guys came from the trenches, like the darkness. So do you do you think I've had someone say this to me that, you know, it takes hitting rock bottom to really find yourself Mm -hmm. and to really find again how we're going to do that dance. As my psychologist said, we become in this dance with a partner. Mm -hmm. And that dance also involves their belief systems, their programming, all everything that's in their backpack that they brought to you from their family. Yeah. Yeah. So you and Donna are now, and I just heard you guys speak a couple of weeks ago. Brilliant. I really enjoyed the way that you mesh together. You can just see, it makes me emotional to talk about it. You can Mm -hmm. just see the love that you guys have for each other in the darkness that you came through. Mm -hmm. Like kudos to both of you for fighting for what you did for your kids. Thank you. Yeah. You know, and I'd like to say I did it. We did it all for the kids. I can't speak for why Donna did what she did. That's her job to talk about that. But for me, it was like I just needed to be OK. Mm-hmm. And, and that's my whole life. Like I've, I always needed to be OK. And, and drugs gave me that for a minute. Yeah. And then they stopped. Then they stopped giving me that. But then relationships gave that to me for a minute. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, then the dance got tough. Yep. And things fell apart. So really, yeah, of course, the kids were a big contributing factor driven by like my moral need to be a good human. Yeah. And, and that I think not only did, my, particularly my son, he experienced all of the bad things and mm-hmm. he was apprehended and messy, big mess. But now he's watching us come out the other side. Yeah. yeah. When he's watching me, he watched me in recovery, even with my social media addiction, with other behaviors that were just like me stepping towards wellness. It's not perfect. I didn't quit using drugs and become a model parent. What is a model parent? I don't know. Is that a thing even? I don't know. But I do know that what you're saying right now reminds me of what a very important mentor to me said is when she said, the mistakes are going to happen. What matters most as Mm -hmm. a parent when you are engaging in these very layered relationships with your children is how you fix them, Mm -hmm. how they see you fix them. Because as my good friend, Dr. Jody Carrington says, You cannot give something away that you've never been given. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that you're showing your children now that, you know what? Yeah, I made this massive mistake, but look at how I'm coming back from it. Mm -hmm. That lesson for them, in my opinion, I'm no expert, but like trumps the mistake. And parenting is the hardest thing I think we'll ever do. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I have not reach the top of the mountain. Like I said just a minute ago, like I'm not a model parent. I still Mm -hmm. yell. I still say things that I shouldn't. I still respond in anger. Yeah. And this is just me being vulnerable and real. My son's seen me at my worst, Mm -hmm. like even in recovery. There's nobody that has seen me behave more poorly than my son. Yeah. But having said that, we have an opportunity and I've, and I take this opportunity as best I can to not so much teach him that life is going to knock you down as much as it is, you can get back up. Yeah. And it's not going to be pretty and you're going to have to fight and you're going to have to cry and you're going to swear. And it's beautiful. Yeah. All of it. I remember my daughter saying to me, and it's in my book, actually the hardest chapter in my book, Behind Closed Doors, where I write about little snippets of my life is Mm -hmm. the chapter I wrote about when my ex-husband and I had to tell our six-year-old daughter that we would be separating. Mm. And even writing it was gutting for me because it was like, this is what happens with our trauma. We relive it when we retell it. And it's in our bodies, right? It's stored. Mm -hmm. And so I remember vividly the look on her face as she came up the stairs, sensing that something was off. It was like leading a little lamb to slaughter. And I remember her curls in her hair and she just knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And when we finally told her, she just buried her head in her hands and cried uncontrollably. And it was probably the worst moment in my life to that point and my ex-husband's life. Him and her had such a beautiful relationship and it was gutting. And when I was writing the book, her and I had had a conversation one day. She was much older. We're driving in a car because that's the best time to have really hard conversations with your kids. Is, they, it, is that legit? Or it's you... legit. Okay. It's legit. And I've had a lot of experts tell me that. So that's what I've tried. If you want to have a really hard conversation, especially with your teenager, 
Mm-hmm. Do it in the car. Like driving or Driving not? because they can't get out. <laughs> <laughs> There's nowhere to go. So my kids are always like, when we go for a drive, they're like, do we have anything to talk about? Yeah. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, I know. Do we drive faster? Do we? <laughs> but I remember saying to her, because we had some friends who were going through a divorce and their kids were young. And I said to her, and who says this as a mom, like looking to my teen for advice, I said to her, what kind of advice would you give as a kid who went through that? How would you say they should tell their kids? Like, I look back at this now thinking, how messed up is that? But you know what? She said the truth. She said, tell them not to lie. Oh, God. And I went, what? We didn't lie to you. Mm -hmm. Instant defense mechanism. And she said, yeah, you did. And I said, tell me about that. She said, you told me word verbatim, dad was moving out. Mm -hmm. You never said he wasn't coming back. Huh. And it was a like a mic drop moment mm-hmm. where we can try to hide the painful truth from our kids, but you can't bullshit them yeah. for too long. They know. Mm-hmm. So that was a deep learning moment for me as a parent. And so I share that with other parents now, regardless of what they're dealing with their kids and mm-hmm. youth, like sugarcoating stuff doesn't make it any easier to swallow. Mm-hmm. So before we go back, you mentioned that trauma is stored in the body just a few moments ago and how all of these experiences that you had there, they're stored in your body, in your yeah. child's body. Is that, is recognizing that part of body talk is like those traumas coming up? Because we still haven't exactly defined what body talk I'm so sneaky, is. hey? I yeah. just get on, it's the ADHD, I get the on answers. a tangent. Like, just give us the answer. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Until you actually experience a session, you won't really know. Okay. But what a session looks like is you would come into my office, you would lay down on my my table, fully clothed, it's not like massage, mm-hmm. so fully clothed, and then I would use all of my training, both my conscious training and my intuitive mind in my like my 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 gut programming basically to come up with a protocol for you mm-hmm. using a neuromuscular biofeedback method. Mm-hmm. Which means I take your palm in my hand And so I'm physically touching you that way. And then we go through this protocol of what needs to be balanced for you today. Mm -hmm. So what connections in your mind body need to be restored? Where do we need to tap into that innate wisdom? Because our bodies are innately Mm -hmm. wired to heal, Dan. Yeah. We don't tell our bodies, okay, you get a cut. Okay, body heal. Mm -hmm. They do it. Mm -hmm. They do it. What gets in the way of that healing is all the stress. Even Western medicine will recognize stress as the root killer and cause of most disease. Mm -hmm. Some of the big ones Mm -hmm. like cancer, Mm -hmm. heart disease. Um, And so during a body talk session, you lay there. Some most people will sleep. You don't have to talk. Some people do. So I'll come up with the protocol. I'll share the protocol with you. I'll say we're balancing. We're going to we're going to be releasing some um, grief from your lungs. It's showing up today. There's it's stored there. Maybe it's going to be defined by a certain event that happened in your life that comes up Mm -hmm. through the protocol. And then we could do, I do some light tapping, maybe some light touch on different parts of the body. But having said that, you can also do a body talk session distantly. So I've worked with clients all over the world, some who are in active cancer treatments over in Europe. So basically at the end of a session, you feel lighter. Mm -hmm. You feel like you've energetically and emotionally impacted things, even if you haven't said a word to me. It's this euphoric. Some people actually have said to me, it feels like a body talk high. Mm. where you're almost out of body and you're thinking like, what, what's going on? So it's a very passive healing, mm-hmm. but it's been very impactful for me. For me, it's helped me really get a handle on chronic migraines, mm-hmm. on chronic pain in my body, fibromyalgia. Those are all diseases that have manifested in my body physically from some of the attachments to my stress. Mm-hmm. So that's in a nutshell, but man, you got to try it. Once you try it, you, mm-hmm. you'll know. And I've worked with I've worked with clients from two months old all the way up to 87 years old mm-hmm. in my seven years of doing this practice. Mm-hmm. And I could write an entire book, a trilogy on the phenomenal paths of healing that people have incorporated body talk with. And it's not the end all be all. It's one of those things that you add into your repertoire of wellness. Mm-hmm. It was life changing for me. And so many of them, even my daughter now will say, Mom, I think I need a body talk. When she can feel in her body that her stress is manifesting physically. I'm sure that's a part of some subconscious programming. It's all so subcon- it all so comes from subconscious I, I've programming. I've had an experience recently, 
And I'm not entirely sure what brought it on, but one day something changed in me, mm-hmm. right? So I was going on, so I've done work with psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And the last most recent time I did that, I went on dieta. So dieta, dieta, whatever you call it, where you prepare. You prepare physically, emotionally, mentally for your journey. Mm-hmm. There's a special diet where you can eat certain things where you can't. But there's also part of that is behavioral. You can't have sex or anything that resembles sex. It's, so, it's for seven days. It's not like this big, huge <laughs> thing. It's seven days. For some people, that's hard. But what I noticed is this last time that I did that, two or three days into it, something changed in me. And I've always wanted to have better relationship with Donna, with my kids, with mm-hmm. all of these things. I've always wanted to contribute more at home. But for some reason, on a conscious level, that never really came to fruition. Yeah, I always had intention, but it never really came to me unloading the dishwasher or whatever. I just, this is something that I want. Right. One day, a switch flipped and my whole life changed. And I don't know what brought that on, but you mentioned how the subconscious has however many thoughts, 90% of the thoughts and the conscious has 10 thoughts or whatever. Mm -hmm. But have you seen that in other people where you're doing work, like you're doing this body talk and suddenly a switch flips? Yeah, it's it's like we're unpacking this backpack, right? Mm-hmm. And or we're peeling off what we say in body talk, we peel off all the layers of the onions. And then you get to the heart of it, which is that light, that inner divine purpose, that mm-hmm. like and it's like an, an enlightening experience. And so what's happening is you're going up the rung, right? Mm-hmm. And and it often won't happen until we're middle age or later or we've gone through all the traumas and the pivots and everything that's just tried to freaking wear us right down. Mm-hmm. Where we have this enlightening, this awakening, this aha moment. Some people never get there. But yeah, absolutely. It's just unpacking that subconscious programming. The subconscious programming, Dan, is like a boomerang. Mm. And I I'll often have clients come to me and say, God, I just wish I could change. So or I wish I could change myself. Mm-hmm. When you think about in those formative years between zero to seven and the way that the people who we live with, how they love us, mm-hmm. how they talk to us, how they solve conflict. Mm-hmm how their attachments are to work and all of the other things. We are downloading the program when we don't even know. It is such a powerful program, our subconscious. Yeah. So we can't tear ourselves away from it, but we can recognize the unhealthy attachments to some of those beliefs. Mm -hmm. So I am recognizing now, like in this talk of workaholism, Mm -hmm. I immerse myself in work because now I do something that I absolutely love that doesn't feel like work. So it's even harder now than ever mm-hmm. to set boundaries. Yeah. I will write till two in the morning and write at five in the morning. Yeah. I will. I can relate. <laughs> Look around. <laughs> and it just doesn't stop. But that doesn't mean that it's any healthier than any other addiction. Yeah. In fact, I would say it's like this hidden fly kind of addiction that takes from us meaningful moments in our lives. Mm-hmm. meaningful connection from our loved ones mm-hmm. because we can say, oh, it's just work. Mm-hmm. And I'll have my kids say, mom, you're on your computer again while I'm hounding them to get off their devices. And you yeah. know what I say, Dan? I'm working. But I'm working. Oh, God, I say that too. I'm working. They don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. What you're not doing is you're not spending time with them. Yeah. And, and that was part of my pivotal shift just recently here. Mm-hmm. I realized that I was missing out on so much. Like literally when Donna moved in here, I spent the next year and a half just working. That's yeah. all I did. That's so why I do you did. think you did that? You know what? I don't even really know. But think about it. So what I does do, work oh, take us from? Think about it. You think I don't think Let's about it? Let's talk it out right now. <laughs> what, it, because when we work, and my sister and I were just having this conversation because she too comes from the same program. She's the best nurse you'll ever find mm-hmm. who's on leave right now, a mental health leave, because she enveloped herself so much mm-hmm. in her career that it took her mental health, is that when we distract ourselves with work, we don't have to deal with the stuff outside of work. We don't have time for it. So we don't have time to unpack the history to that relationship or how you're going to move forward or the fears that you have moving forward because you're too busy working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't say for sure at this point why I was already dove into my work hard. It was all mm-hmm. I did. I would wake up at three before dawn moved. And I would wake up at 3.30 in the morning and like my bed is literally five feet from where I am yeah. right now. So and it, it would be like in the studio all day long, whether I was working or whether I was just looking at analytics, looking for that dopamine fix. I just I like to say I just changed the lines I was snorting. Wow. You know what I mean? That's profound. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm looking at lines on a screen and if they're going up, then yeah. I'm good. But if they're going down, I'm not good. Yeah. I and had a friend still, that said that. 
one addiction just slides into another. When mm-hmm. we have that addictive type personality, anytime we can get that dopamine rush, you and I had this conversation before I went live mm-hmm. about social media and engagement and the dance that we have as entrepreneurs with mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. the validation, the yep. see me, the likes, the comments, the tell me how I'm doing. Yeah. How do I affirm me? The affirming. How do I measure up to people who are my quote unquote competitors? Yeah. I need a detox. And it's not that the people who are on my feet are not healthy. They are very healthy. They're thriving. But then I'm like, God, I got to do more. I got to work more. Like, why am I not working harder? Yeah. And I think that's something that all the listeners can be able to relate to because work is something that most of us do for a living. So to find ourselves in this really unhealthy relationship where we don't know how to set boundaries. I'm still learning. I'm in the trenches. When I speak to audiences, I say, listen, if you're looking for a guru who has all the answers, I ain't your person. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you a real raw story that's very relatable that hopefully you'll be able to be, hey, like that's me too. Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about subconscious programming to youth, what does that sound like? So now we have a lot of parents that that listen, Mm -hmm. right? How can they start to address this at a something that's beyond topical. Okay, we're going to put them in the car and we're going to drive down the freeway at 100 miles an hour so they can't jump out. They can't get out. What next? So I don't. I wouldn't say that I necessarily talk about subconscious programming in and of itself with youth and the science behind it. It's a lot for an adult to understand, let alone a kid. But what I do talk very in-depth about is the mind-body connection. So yesterday I was just reading, I was in doing an author reading and the school had asked me to read the book, Lily's Heavy Heart, which is all about grief and sadness and dealing mm-hmm. with death and loss, yeah. which is a very niche book. Don't see a lot of them. That's why I wrote one. Mm-hmm. And immediately when I said to the kids before I read the book, tell me how sadness and grief shows up in your body. So it's easy to identify feelings, easier to identify feelings if we can connect to where they're showing up in our bodies. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of research behind that as well. Mm-hmm. It's not just Laura coming up with that. So the kids would say, I feel it in my eyes. I feel it. One kid said, I feel it in my throat, Laura. It's like there's this knot in my throat. One child was like, I feel it in my tummy. I feel like there's an elephant on my chest. There's a, an expert by the name of Dr. Dan Siegel. He mm-hmm. wrote a book called The Whole Brain Child. I highly recommend any parent watching this or if you work with youth or even if you want to unpack your own childhood uh, to read that book. It's called The Whole Brain Child. So he has this process called Name It to Tame It. Wherein, if we can name our feelings and identify where they're showing up in our bodies, what happens is we diffuse them or we help better yet facilitate and the processing of those feelings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I talk in depth about mind body connection with the kids and they're so damn smart. They already know it mm-hmm. because they're not conditioned or have the, the blinders on that some adults do where this is kooky. This doesn't make sense. They're so good at tapping into what it feels like in their body. Mm. So I think as a parent, and any parents are watching, this is what I've done in my evolution of parenting because I had two kids, got divorced, became a body talk practitioner, then really immersed myself into subconscious programming and conscious living. So then I had two more kids. Mm. So I had the opportunity to parent in a different way. And I still made a lot of the same mistakes, but one of the things I'm much better at is holding space for my kids Mm -hmm. when they have big feelings. Mm. And holding space for my spouse, I'm a little bit better at now, when he has big feelings. Mm. Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. How does it feel? Mm-hmm. Tell yeah. me more. And that is something that I believe is so much under-talked about, mm-hmm. the relationship with the spouse, especially if you're in a, a family that has a mom and a dad or a dad and dad, whatever, two yeah. partners, raising kids. Oftentimes it's like, oh, it's all of it. All about the kids. It's all about yeah. the kids. It's about, and even when we talk about like child apprehension and stuff, you go to the social worker and like, all we care about is the child's well-being. How does the child's well-being have, have fair when you don't give a shit about the parents? Yeah. But since the, my relationship and with Donna has deepened after this revelation that I had, and it, let me tell you about how that manifested. It manifested in me unloading the dishwasher, not because I felt an obligation to, but because I wanted to help. Yeah. It was genuinely not, I'm going to try, I'm going to fake this. Yeah. Something clicked in my head and now I'm sweeping the floor and now I'm unloading the dishwasher and now I'm making supper. Yes, Now I'm making the bed. Now I'm decorating the bedroom so make it more of a sacred space. Yeah. And let me tell you, a lot of things changed. Yeah, for sure. A lot of things changed. Yeah. I don't know about Jonna, but my... My language of love or love language Mm. is acts of service. Mm. So when my spouse does things for me to lighten my load or show that he cares, that's the quickest way to my heart. Mm -hmm. And you're so right. Yes, it is important that our kids being in their mental health is 
taken care of, but they don't stand a chance if the people in their lives whom they are having all of their behavior modeled from aren't doing well. And how are they going to go out into the world and look for a partner if they never saw mom and dad hug? Yeah. If they never saw dad help mom make supper. Yeah, exactly. What kind of person are they going to look for? Yeah. And how, and my daughter in particular, both my son and my daughter, what roles do they think they have in a relationship? Yeah. You know, I don't want my daughter going out saying it's okay for you to do all the housework. And I don't want my son to go out into the world and saying it's okay to lay on the couch and let the woman do all the housework. Yeah. But think about these patterns that you're changing that are different from our parents' generation, right? Mm-hmm. So that goes back to the beginning of, and I remember my husband saying to me one night because I was beating myself up, something bad. And we do that as moms and dads too. I work predominantly with moms and women mm-hmm. where at night we'll just go through that list of all the things we messed up that day. Mm-hmm. And the highlight reel. The highlight reel mm-hmm. and all of the guilt attached to that. And then my husband said to me one day, he said, Laura, honestly, if you're doing even a little bit better than your parents did, Mm-hmm. that their parents did. Mm-hmm. We're breaking generational cycles, but mm-hmm. it's slow. Mm-hmm. But we still have to give ourselves the credit of doing that so that our kids can see exactly like you said, what does it mean to have parents that hug? What does it mean? So when I have clients that come to me and say, oh my gosh, I really need my son or daughter to have a body talk, or I really need my spouse. I said, actually, I'll probably start with you. I would think, yeah. Probably. And most psychologists and therapists would say that as well. Let's start with your own healing. Let's start mm-hmm. with looking at your attachments. Because mm-hmm. I'll tell you one thing, Dan, when I change the way I see my programming and attachments to it, like I wrote down a positive affirmation the other day and I accidentally left it somewhere where my husband could see it. Oh no. And it said, I will try to release control in the mornings. Because mm. I, mornings for me mm-hmm. are the most difficult time of the day. I'm overstimulated. Mm-hmm. I'm overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Kids everywhere. Kids everywhere. Lunch is packed. Can't handle it. Dressed, boots, it brings jacket. out the worst in me, Dan. Honestly, yeah. I remember yeah. my husband saying to me once, gosh, Laura, if we had like a pro cam or whatever you call those damn things on your head and everybody could see what you are in the morning, I don't know if they would hire you. <laughs> and I said, well, they probably would because they would notice that they're not alone and they're not just the momzillas. I am too. And I'm working so hard, Dan, mm-hmm. with my therapist to like, how can I What strategies and skills can I do so that it makes, because listen, I set the energy and the tone for my household. I know that. Mm -hmm. If I come down in a shitty mood Mm -hmm. and I start, it's just energy is contagious. This, uh, there's an interesting comment in the chat right now from my friend. Onyx, thank you so much for the comment. Onyx says, the surrender to allow the subconscious to safely release the subconscious from the experience experiencer to the observer that's pretty powerful yeah yeah and i'll read the comments thanks yeah yeah but now we did <laughs> it's my teacher and me dan it's my teacher she meant to say experiencer i know onyx yeah. she would not have said experimenter so there yeah. you go that's a really good comment yes, seeing the emotions knowing that i'm not the emotion yeah. i am the thing that's observing the emotion and i'm not always perfect at it but i can do that now Okay, this is anger coming on. I am not this. I'm not going to act on this. I'm going to feel this and I'm going to use this productively. And that mostly comes to fruition through the kids because like our daughter, man, she's got a lot of energy right now. Mm -hmm. She's got a lot of energy. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard to dial back when that subconscious programming and that immediate autonomic reaction or autonomic, which we learned again. Autonomic, what's that? Autonomic means it happens without thought, Mm. without Mm -hmm. thought. So for me... I've got a lot of irritability and anger that comes up autonomically, but I also grew up in a home where uh, it was very, it was safe and uh, I was very loved by my parents, but there was an autonomic reaction of irritability and frustration and anger Mm -hmm. from my dad. Mm -hmm. And I love him dearly and he has taught me so much about hard work and entrepreneurship, but he too, all these programs we just get from the generation before us. So when that's showing up for me, I really have to dial back. And you're right. Our kids are the ones who will just mirror that to us the best and give us the best opportunities to yeah. learn and grow. Oh, my kids are by far my best teacher. Yeah. By far. Hands down. They don't even know they're doing it. My, yeah. my son's getting a little older. He might start to realize that he's doing it. But they show me the darkest parts of me. Mm-hmm. Like this is something that needs to work on. Yeah. We so. call that in body talk mirror work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, d- I don't think we really went through how to talk to youth about subconscious programming. I think we yeah. down the rabbit hole there. No, I, wh- what I did say was I don't necessarily talk to them about that other than recognize that there's a mind-body connection and we feel our emotions, they come up in our body. Mm-hmm. But 
to what you said as well, that recognition of we are not our thoughts. Mm -hmm. We are not our thoughts. So we we do a lot of work with that in Youth Matter with Kids is looking at that positive self-talk and that recognition of what's toxic, what's a limiting belief system, Mm -hmm. where those thoughts may have come from. So we do, we, I do work with youth in that aspect of, listen, a lot of these thoughts and these beliefs that we have came from somewhere. That part, so I might not name subconscious programming, but just recognizing that those come from somewhere where they're learned. Mm. Got another comment coming in here. Barb, thanks for the comment. Barb says, constant need for validation equals why I did a PhD. This conversation is so important and needed in many spaces. And in fact, Barb and mm-hmm. I talked about this exact thing over sushi last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's good at sushi talk. Barb, I think you and I could be friends because, listen, I thought about going back to getting my master's in ed psych, getting this, getting And it was my husband. He's the grounding force in my life who said, Laura, you are doing such impactful, important work as is. When is it going to be good enough? And when I was doing an author reading last week, and I think this is where we have to be cognizant of the role modeling we're doing for youth. And I was just like, not bragging, but very proud. I wrote three children's books. I wrote an adult book. I've got two more in queue. And the kids are like, what's next? And on the drive home, I actually had a cry because I recognized how I was modeling this almost unattainable goal of writing all these books in two years. Mm. And I wish I would have said to them, what's next is I'm just going to enjoy what I've done. Yeah. What's next is I'm just going to sink into the work I've already done and look at the ripple effects that it's creating. Mm-hmm. But that never enough. Like I, I had an epiphany the other day. I said to my husband, when I write my next book, which I'm setting a boundary that it's going to be at least two years, mm-hmm. it's going to be called too much and not enough. Because that's what I felt my whole entire life as Mm -hmm. a woman and as someone who's a people pleaser and a high achiever, that I've always either been too much for somebody in a room or not enough. But who that somebody really is myself. I was going to say, you were going to call call me on that. But it's truth. And in that book, I'll talk a lot about my journey with body talk and me unpacking these layers. And for me, it was body talk. For some people, it might be for you, like you said, psychedelics. For some people, it might be yoga. Mm -hmm. For other people, it might be talk therapy. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what it is. Just find that thing that's going to help you unpack your stuff and look at those layers very objectively, which is hard. We can't detach ourselves from the ego. Mm -hmm. I love when people say to me, I don't have an ego. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd be dead. That was your ego that just said that. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, whoa. Yeah, yes, you do. (laughs) You need a body talk. Yeah, you need a body talk. It's so funny. But the the interesting, and you just mentioned my work with psychedelics, and 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 it's been very meaningful to me. But what was really interesting to me was that shift that I had in my subconscious and in my behaviors and everything. It came before Before I even like because you're the first one, but before the second one. Yeah. But I also say our bodies and our minds know when they're preparing for the work. So often people will come into my body talk office and they'll say, "Gosh, I've had the craziest thing happen today." Like I. I've been really emotional because their bodies already are preparing for release. They know. The body knows. The you're, mind you're going knows something. you're going there. You can't trick it. You can't hide. You can't. It's like my friend last week at Roman Corkery, he was on and he was like, when, you, when, I'm, when you're having these psychedelic experiences, your eyes are closed. You cannot look away, mm-hmm. but you cannot divert from yeah. these experiences you're having. I think it's fascinating when you have these conversations with people where you find what's the root of their healing. Like, how are they going to get to that root of the tree? Mm-hmm. Because often I think we stay in the branches. Mm-hmm. Some of us still in the leaves. Mm-hmm. But and getting the tree down, can tell when you're moving up the branch. The tree can tell. Yeah, the tree can tell. And I've had, I said to you before I got here, I've had one heck of a week. I've been a little bit of a funk, actually yeah. more than a little bit of funk. I can't ever remember me being so gray, so to speak, in my mind. At Christmas is my favorite time of year mm. than the year that I went through my first Christmas hiding a separation. Mm. It's almost weird to hear someone at, at our age say that Christmas is our favorite time of year. You know? Oh, I love it. But for me, what is it? Again, subconscious program, what it's attached to? My grandmother is the inspiration behind all my books. She was the feel-good person. She was the safe place. She mm-hmm. was the home. Mm-hmm. And Christmas with her was always magical. Mm-hmm. But she died seven years ago, and Christmas has never been the same. Mm. It's never been the same trying to recreate those memories. Mm-hmm. And every listener here is going to relate to that. Loss, grief, those patterns that we lose, then we have to create new patterns in our minds going, how you can't forget the old one, though. Yeah. You can't yeah. forget the old one. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a best-selling author. Ta-da. Ta-da. <laughs> I've read one of, your, one of your children's books, and I know that you and more than one person have had a laugh about my experience with your book, Lily's Loudmouth. 
Yeah, right? you told me about it. And so yeah, it made me cry. It was just like I was I, I picked up I'll check out Laura's book and I started reading it and it talked about because our daughter is very loud. Our daughter is very always singing, always bouncing, always just I don't know if she's looking for attention as much as she's commanding the attention yeah. of the room of the house. Yeah. Right. And I'm trying to like just put a bit of a lid on that a little bit. And Lily's loudmouth is all about this little girl who is just like, she's got this beautiful gift of being able to capture people's attention. Mm. And there's visions of her in the book. She's going to be this influential politician and speaker and all of these things. And I just, I, I lost it. Mm. I started crying and I'm just trying to read my daughter a, a bedtime story. And now I'm having like this existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, that's the best compliment I can receive as an author. Good. Because yeah. like it, I'm, I'm point. honestly, it triggers yeah. me now. The thought of reading it again. I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> Dan, you have not been the first adult who has told me that. I have had grandmothers tell me that it brought them to tears. Yes. My high school best friend called me and said, geez, Laura, I bawled. I've been mm -hmm. holding my voice back for years because of fear of judgment. Mm -hmm. And just a lot of children's movies are not really produced and written for children. Mm -hmm. They have messages and themes for adults. Mm -hmm. The same thing with my children's books. So I remember I did a, a market a couple of weeks ago and uh, same thing happened. A woman picked up Lily's loudmouth. She asked me what it was about. I gave her an elevator pitch of it and instant, uncontrollable tears because there was a story in her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it, there's a couple of levels to that. One, um, there was a little bit of guilt mm -hmm. because it, it brought to light my behavior and trying yeah. to, and I don't know if squashing her loudness is the right term, but honestly, it gets very exhausting when mm -hmm. it's always loud. It's always bouncing. So I felt like I get guilt, like I was, oh no, I've been squashing this beautiful gift. But on the other time, it was like an amazing revelation that what she's displaying is not toxic. No. It's not bad. It's this beautiful gift that we can nurture and there's still time. Yeah. And you won't be able to squash it. No, I've come to realize that. <laughs> you won't, because yeah. I'm Lily. And when but, I read the book in the And in, you can't spot me. And, and, uh, <laughs> and I've been called too much. And I've been called yeah. difficult yeah. and I've been shushed and I've been talked about and I've been and this week, actually, I had a hard time. I was thinking because as it gets as I get older, it gets a little I'm a little less resilient mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. But that's why I wrote the book. I wrote it mainly not for all kids, but for little girls who are growing up in a world who's traditionally silenced us. Hang on a minute. Are these books inner child work for you? Yeah. Huh. All of my books and with any writer you will find that the story in the book is a reflection or mirror of some aspect of the story of the writer. Mm. So Lily's Loudmouth is my cartoon autobiography. She becomes a teacher in the end. That's mm. how, that's her superpower. She changes the world by changing little lives. Elliot's Rainbow Roller Coaster is about my little boy who has big feelings and big emotions, but he's me. Mm. I have big feelings and big emotions mm -hmm. and trying to unpack that. Lily's Heavy Heart is my story of losing my grandmother. And in the end, she finds a ladybug as mm -hmm. that message or that sign from divine. And so it gives us an opportunity to talk about that everlasting legacy of love mm -hmm. and how we see those messages. So, yeah, every one of my children's books, the one that's next on cue, that's just at the editor. And I got an edit back today. And my high achieving self was like, oh, that's a lot of edits I have. And usually I don't need that many edits, but I was just humbled by it. Great editor. That one's about ADHD. Mm -hmm. It's about Lily, whose superpower is ADHD. Mm -hmm. And so I want every book that I write as a children's book to also be relatable in some aspect to the parent or the caregiver, whoever is reading that book. Mm -hmm. So thank you. I thank you for sharing with me that it, it evoked that emotion. Mm -hmm. That's why I write books. Mm. We've got a another comment. And in fact, I was going to ask you about this, but then we veered off a little bit. But Onyx bringing us back again. Onyx, glad you're here today. Glad you're taking part in this conversation. So Onyx says, this Christmas will be my first Christmas without mm -hmm. my mom. I feel like I have to step up and make this Christmas special, but we are still all grieving. So the reason why that piqued my interest and Onyx, my deepest condolences, my friend, the reason that I wanted to talk about that is because when you lost your mom, sorry, your grandma. My grandmother, yes, yeah. Uh, was there any stress put on you? Oh, no, the torch has been passed to me now. Now it's my job to make Christmas this magical thing for the kids. My mom and my aunts, they've all always made it magical. I come from a magical family of women who've just always been nurturers, upholders and healers. But it, it, it took a toll on all of them. And as the oldest grandchild, and I had a 
very deep relationship with my grandmother. I read the eulogy at her funeral. The thing that her and I had in common is we'd both been through divorces Mm. and nobody else in our family. Her daughter who had passed away had too, but we just had this common thread. And I think that still, I will always and forever grieve. And I think exactly what Onyx said about feeling like they need to make this Christmas special. Mm -hmm. What I've come to the realization is if I can just sit with those feelings and recognize that sometimes what is just is, and maybe it's a new pattern or we do something new or diff, or maybe we don't do anything new. Maybe we don't even celebrate Christmas. I think that's very individuated to each person in their grief journey. I have a good friend who today's the day that her 17-year-old daughter died seven years ago. Mm. I sent her a message this morning saying it's the legacy. So for me, I try to hold on to what's the legacy that my Oma Ellie Mm -hmm. left us and celebrate that legacy, not just on special days, but every day. Mm -hmm. Public speaker. I love to talk. Yes. Yes, you do. (laughs) You're in good company. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, thank you for coming to our Melfort engagement. Donna and I took the stage there thanks to Patty Droughty, uh, Saskatchewan Health Authority. Shout out, Patty, if you're watching, listening. She's a great gal. Yeah. So thank you for coming and thank you for your feedback after. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. So my question, though, how did you come into public speaking? Tell us about the first time you stepped on stage. What called you there? What were you talking about? The first time I honestly stepped on stage would have been the first day of my teaching career. Fair enough. Because that's a stage. And I think that my experience and what makes me comfortable speaking in front of people is that you probably won't find a more difficult audience than teenagers. Mm. So having to sell them the curriculum, it started there. But I think, oh, gosh, my very first time publicly speaking. I can't even remember. Mm. I can't remember. I can't remember. (laughs) But I'll tell you an impactful one I had in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. I was invited to speak in an organization that was serving Indigenous families in the Indigenous community. And I always love when I get an opportunity to engage and speak with First Nations and Indigenous Mm -hmm. families. I I taught Indigenous kids my whole entire career. And I always feel so welcomed. And it's like a warm welcoming. I can feel the roots of their culture. I can connect. I was just talking to my husband about that. I could feel their sense of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And their sense of appreciation for the message that I was bringing, uh, the real message of love and pain. Mm -hmm. We will not go through life without experiencing either. Mm -hmm. And the depth to which we love someone or something uh, is directly proportional to the depth of the pain we'll experience when something happens to that something or someone. Yeah. 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 So I, yeah, I've been speaking since I've been a teacher, but I really now have taken it up a notch speaking with organizations. I do a lot of work in schools, of course, with kids and educators, but also with professional organizations working with their staff, just engaging them in this idea of living more, quote unquote, mindfully. So what that means is really tap it into that mind-body connection, bringing a lot of my teaching and education as a body talk practitioner. And then my real life experiences, what's worked for me, what hasn't. Mm. Yeah. Comment coming in. Kathy Smith, thank you for being here today. Thanks for taking part in our conversation. Kathy says, this is my third Christmas without my daughter who died of fentanyl poisoning. It is so hard. Mm. Do you work with people in your practice who have struggled with addiction Mm -hmm. or struggled with the addiction of a loved one? Yeah. 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 And I can tell you, I have held space for and held hands with and been heart to heart with many mothers who have lost their children to addiction mm. or who've died by suicide. Some of their stories are in, my, in the book that I wrote, and I don't take it lightly, the opportunity to sit in a space or even to sit here energetically in a space with people who have walked the darkest paths of grief, mm-hmm. something that's one of my biggest fears as a mother. Yeah. And I have learned so much from these women and men mm. who have picked themselves back up again and found even the littlest ray of hope to continue. So I'm sending my love to you, Kathy. I don't know you, and I can't say that I can even imagine the pain that you're going through. But what I can say is that I have been able to learn so much from just engaging with mothers, fathers, taught me a lot about hope and resilience and perseverance and courage. Mm. One more comment. Barb. 
Barb says, learning that we are Mm -hmm. enough, that simply existing is enough to be valued, loved, and cared for is the hardest, but it changes everything for the better. Yeah. Yeah. Profound. Mm -hmm. And I have a teenage daughter now who I'm trying. I just wrote a post, a blog post for her, Mm. which was really me talking to me. Isn't it usually? Mm Mm-hmm. And I want her to know it's interesting. I see the patterns already. I've seen the patterns. She's me. And I see the overachieving. And I see that she calls his mom. I got a 82 on this essay. And first she said, I got a 52. And I was like, oh, that's okay. That's sounds like it was a hard essay. No, just joking. I got an 82. That seeking of that external validation because she's seen that. I've Mm -hmm. modeled it. So to dial that. I do that with my mom still to this day. Yeah. Yeah. My mom says the first 40 years are the hardest part of parenting. (laughs) So there you go. Oh it starts to get a little easier after that. I got a five-year-old, <laughs> so it'll start getting easy when I'm like 75. Yeah, there you go. Oh, um, yeah. So there's hope. There's hope. <laughs> there's hope. Yeah. So you're a, a woman of distinction nominee, 2021. Yeah. Queen's Jubilee Medal for philanthropy. I got one too. I'm going to flex it right now. Yeah. Oh, you don't have yours? No. You don't carry it with you? I don't carry oh, it with me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was shocked when I got the nomination and yeah. humbled. Well, mine's like, in wow. communication. Yeah. Yeah. And it took me another two months after I got the medal to realize that Hard Knocks Talks is a communications business. For sure. I didn't realize I had a communications company. Yeah. Yeah. You're in the heart of it. I guess I am. And you're doing well. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. (laughs) Tell us about Youth Matters. Like, when did that start to take shape? Okay. So part of my high-functioning anxiety and overachieving and people-pleasing, and I always have these really big ideas, is coming up with grand ideas that Mm -hmm. could be life-changing for other people, Mm because why not? So one day I was driving to Saskatoon with my husband and I said, wouldn't it be so cool if I could organize a symposium or professional development opportunity for kids that was all about mental health? Mm-hmm. Just stemming from my own experience as a teacher working with youth, my own experience with my youth parenting. That sounds like a good idea. He'll always say, if I have an idea, it's like the next day it's happening. I yeah. cannot sit on it. No. You understand that. Programming. I feel that. I feel yep. that deeply, my friend. So I'm going to do it. So I did it. So in 2019, I gathered together some really good friends who were mental health advocates, some physicians, some nurses, people who were boots on the ground working with kids. And we hosted our first annual, we called it a Youth Matter Symposium. At that time, we were not a nonprofit. I took all the risk as a personal business owner, Mm -hmm. had a lot of people who knew and trusted me, so gave me money Mm -hmm. to host a symposium where we had over 350 youth from 15 different communities in Northeast Saskatchewan, Northern Saskatchewan, come to Melfort Mm -hmm. and engage in a full day of healthy conversations and connection that helps to support mental health. Mm-hmm. It looked very different from a traditional, ordinary mental health conference. Kids did yoga. Kids did some sound therapy. It's interesting that is different from what a mental health conference would typically be. That sounds like We wanted like, oh, to introduce kids to, to uh, art and music and yeah. movement and mindfulness. And so we, it was so good. Then the pandemic hit. Mm. The pandemic hit. And Damn. kids were the one normal, predictable thing for them, which were their school days, were taken away and they had to stay at home. So we came up with an idea of creating something called Teen Talk Tuesday, which was a weekly peer support platform on Zoom where Mm -hmm. we would have kids come on for an hour. We'd have a lot of fun. We'd do some trivia. We had our social worker do a dad joke every time. And we (laughs) built this beautiful community of kids from all across the province and beyond Mm -hmm. who registered to join us every week. It got to be a little exhaustive for the team. So then we dialed it down a bit. But then we had a local teen take his life. Mm. And this was still during the pandemic. And it was very tragic, very unexpected, not the quote unquote typical youth, which is a very stereotypical thing to say, because who is the typical youth? But Mm -hmm. I think that's why it was all the more shocking to the community. Mm -hmm. And so we thought we got to start this up again. So we started it up again. We did it every week. So we continue to do it. Now we do it once a month, the second Tuesday of the month. And uh, we have this beautiful community of kids who probably don't have a community like that elsewhere. And they will show up. And we have had some phenomenal speakers. Your friend, my friend, Alan Kaler's been on. Mm -hmm. We've had podcasters on. We've had had authors. We've had just kids come on and share their experience. So it's a lived experience platform, but also with some extra support. We have a social worker on every week. So that's that. And then we have a Be Kind to Your Mind travel team where myself and a couple of other of our team members go out and we travel around the province and we do free mental health presentations to schools Hmm. if we get community grants. So Mm -hmm. last year we got a fairly big grant. We were able to go into 14 different schools all across the province. It was life-changing for us and the stories we heard from the kids. The sole purpose of that tour is to teach kids to reach out and speak up 
and to develop a mental health maintenance plan for themselves. Mm. So what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, when I first started, and I haven't done a whole pile of it, but I have done some speaking to youth. I went into Mount Royal last year. And I remember going, being a youth and like I smoked a lot of weed in high school and I'd hear and people would come in and they would talk. Mm. They would talk about their experiences or whatever. And I wasn't expecting after I was done my talks for the youth to approach me mm. and, and share their stories with me. And now not a whole pile of them, but some of them did. Some of them, like, hey, can we sit and talk for a bit? And And that's not something that I remember seeing. Yeah. As a youth. So that just goes to speak to how things, they seem to be changing a little bit where youth are starting to understand that it is okay to reach out. Was that, would you say that experience is normal? Yeah. After every presentation, we always have kids linger. They'll miss their recess. They'll miss their next class because Mm -hmm. they just want to talk. They want to share with you something they've been going through, or they want to say what something that you said has impacted them. Mm -hmm. And that's why we do what we do. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you? Where can they find Youth Matters? How can they participate? How Where do they find your books? Tell us all the things. They can find me at uh, lauralawrence.ca. So that's my website. Mm-hmm. Or on Instagram, lauralawrence.author. Mm-hmm. Youth Matter. They can find us at uh, youthmatter.ca. Mm-hmm. We've got a website there. We also have an Instagram page, youth underscore matter underscore sask, mm-hmm. which I'm trying to change. That's a little wordy. Instagram. That's where you can that's where you can find us. And we just got a grant to go up to eight indigenous northern remote communities with our team mm. and spend some time with the youth up there, bringing in mental health awareness and education. We're really excited. So if people want to bring you to their community, they can get that you from their website, yep. on social media, yep. doesn't they can, matter. Yep. No they specific can, channel. No, they can go to the website and send an email. It'll go directly to me. And then I can tell them what that looks like. So we're just so grateful to be able to mm-hmm. do this work. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Dan. This was good. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It felt good. Yeah. Okay. If you got something out of today's episode, please hit that like button at the bottom of the screen. If you are not yet subscribed to us on YouTube, please do that. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that bell. We go live every Friday morning, every Sunday evening. If you don't have time to sit and watch us for an hour, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all I got for you right now. Thanks so much for listening today. Take care, everyone. Say, this is Hard Knocks Talks.